tell you how to get one. Perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight and is also the church janitor. Perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, donates $30 a week to his church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years experience. Perfect pastor makes 15 house calls a day and is always in his office. If your pastor does not measure up, send this to six other churches that are also dissatisfied with their pastor. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them should be perfect. Now have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain, and it's got its old pastor back in three months. So if you're interested... No, okay. we're just trying to have a joke, Bill. <laughs> Let me explain it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As Hagee says, that'll be all right. Can you get it in a few minutes? <laughs> Hang in there, boy. You're all right. We're going to begin this morning on what I think is a very important study. Usually when there's any questions in relative to anything, we tried our best to answer it scripturally. Now when there was questions not too long ago about how a Christian should dress and present themselves, we did a study biblically and to see what the Bible said about it. And uh, if the Bible says it, well then we shouldn't argue with it. Then we had some good lessons on tithing and offerings and all of that, just to see what the Bible said about it. And if the Bible uh, talks about it, why then we should not argue about it. And so we're going to present to you in, I don't know how long it's going to take, some areas in which I feel like is important. We want to talk about the church and what is it principles of government, foundation of spiritual government, and cautions in the principles of, of uh, government, spirit of theocracy, whether we should have theocracy in the church, dictatorship, or democracy, and how we can know the difference, how to have a healthy church government, and principles of organization, administration, the plurality in church government, and church discipline, plus if we can get to it. Uh, the fivefold ministry dealt with that. Brother Green has dealt with that on apostles, also on prophets, and we will not spend a lot of time on that. But we will try to get to the others, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it might come as a surprise to some of us, but God has government. God does not have confusion, and anything that God ever set up has been orderly. And uh, we need to understand that. A church is not just some place we can go, have a good time and tap our feet and speak in tongues once in a while and do as we please and come and go as we please. There are certain things set. Now, God did that from the beginning. When he created the heavens and earth, he made them orderly. There was a government, and the elements of this air have a government in which they go by. If one of them gets outside of this government, it doesn't function right. And when God made man, he gave him a government. Uh, set him in the Garden of Eden and said, Now then, uh, what you do is obey me. I'll give you everything else here. And there's one tree that belongs to me, and I don't want you to have it. That was government. And it continued on. He called Abraham out and uh, gave government to them. Called Moses and the children of Israel out of the uh, Egyptian bondage. And he gave them a government. And all of these things, I want to read you some scriptures that will go along with this. One of them found in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. And it reads like this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. 
on the throne of David upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice, and henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's an ongoing thing in the government of God. Now we need to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. If you can't turn there, why well, just mark them down and you can read them later to see that I am in the Bible. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And then we need to read Second Peter 2 and 10, or maybe it's First Peter 2 and 10. Second Peter 2 and 10. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust in the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So you see there are those and it has ingrained itself into our local churches today, individuals that despise government. Everybody, of course, we live in a day and age. Of course, when man wants to do his own thing the way he wants to do it, that's when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it. And sadly, this has been in our world, and it has become part of an individual, and sadly but truthfully, he has brought this type of thing into the house of God today and to where it is hard really for individuals to come under, under control of government and not only that it is hard for a church because of rules and regulations even of the government but it has to be done to come under the government of God and it's hard for individuals to submit to that because they have simply been talked and told that you just join a church and then you do what you please and it's never Never been pointed out that much, but the church is under control of God, and of course God controls his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, rulership that he sets in the church. We may not be satisfied with that, but we are under the control of that. We may not be satisfied with our president and our government, but we are under control of that uh, president and that government. And until we change that, then we have to be submissive to that, all right? We want to begin, really, with uh, the church that is been was actually foreshadowed in the Old Testament by types and shadows. I'm not going to go into that so much, other than you can find many places in the Old Testament that look forward to the church as it is today. Uh, it God did not initiate something and it didn't work and then he initiated something else all of this is an ongoing thing God knowing what humanity would do and uh, so on but this has been an ongoing thing from the time uh, that he began and then it was uh, instituted by Christ actually Christ came he says on this rock I'll build my church you see this is not a brand new plan it's just a further step in the plan that God had already a transition from the type and the antitype or from the shadows to the substance or from the natural to the spiritual. And he says, I'm going to build my church. Well, you saw a church uh, in the Old Testament, the ecclesia, which is calling out of God's people. And you saw laws and governments of that. And all this brought us up to Christ. And the foundation has been laid. And upon these foundational truths, God said he would build his church. Now, of course, the foundation is important. There is no doubt about that. And we have a foundation that of the apostles and prophets. And there's, uh, you'll find no substance there that is not good substance. And uh, not only is a foundation important, but also what you put in a building is important as to how lasting that building is. If you want a church to last and want a church to be solid... I want a church not to be able to fold up in the times of persecution and problems, then you're going to put some good, solid teaching in it. 
And it's going to take some good old-fashioned obedience by the children of God in that. And there we build something solid. It's not built upon how many is in the church. It's built upon the type of substance we put in it. And that way we can stand and become what God wants us to become. But we have to realize that there is government in the church. Uh, Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, and I'll be reading this, you mark them down. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, when the spiritual is realized, national barriers and uh, natural distinctions cease to exist in the redemptive plan and dealings of God. The great body of Christ now is becoming the center of God's plan. So actually it's instituted by Christ, brought into fruition by Him. When He came and He lived His sinless life and He died His atoning death, accomplished His victorious resurrection, ascended into the heavens with the admonition for the 120 to go in Jerusalem and stay there until they be endued with power from on high. And the Spirit came and the church was birthed into a land. And that was brought on by Jesus Christ, all of that. Everything that we are today is because of Jesus Christ fulfilling the long-range plan of Almighty God. And then the church is being, or has been, structured by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has come. He said uh, not to leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power. And then the Holy Spirit through the apostles gave the New Testament a structure. The old wine skins was not good enough and couldn't suffice the new wine. Therefore, a change of the covenant comes a change of structure. The church then become an organism. There is a difference between organism and organization. Both are necessary, all right? But there is a difference between them. Of course, we've dealt with this before, so just hang on and put the scriptures down and read them and reread them, and then you'll get to understanding what the body of Christ really is and what it is like if you are not active in it. Of its inability to reach its perfection or its maturity until every individual becomes active and doing what it's supposed to do. First of all, finding where it belongs. What office does it hold? What part of the body actually are we? I told somebody not too long ago, they said, well, just looks like I'm just the sole of a feet. Well, that's something to stand on, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with just being the sole of a foot. Something has to present something for us to stand on. So uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians, trying, and there again, Paul was establishing a church in the midst of a perverse generation to understand what it was in Corinth, how they lived there. And if he could not get this inside of the people that came to him, he realized his ministry would be a complete failure. And so on and on, he talks about an organism. He talks about a body. He talks about what the church actually has become, uh, that no one that has felt the call of God, power of God in their life, uh, can, uh, cannot separate themselves from a body of Christ. It is uh, the height of folly to believe that we can find God and live by ourselves. It cannot be done. We'll find ourselves weak. We'll find ourselves in positions that otherwise we not, would not be in. We would find ourselves sometimes encountered with sicknesses that we can do nothing about that's out of control and a lot of happenings in our life. It's not to say that God doesn't love us. He does. It's just simply saying that we need one another. We need the body of Christ and we need it desperately and we need the body to function. For as the body is one and hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink in one Spirit, unto one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but it's many. Now let's carry that a little farther in Romans 12, 4 and 8. For as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. Right. Amen? Because you don't have an office that 
your visible end doesn't mean you don't have an office. Just because nobody recognizes your office doesn't mean you don't have one. First of all, we have to recognize it ourselves. Being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. You cannot amputate. <laughs> you have no right to do that. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. All of this comes from a united body of Christ, each one with his own purpose in the body of Christ. This portrays the church under the analogy of the human body. In other words, it is a way that we could understand. It is something that we could look at in the natural and understand, and most of us understand basically the functions of the body. We know what it takes to have a body to function like it ought to function. You see, if I was perfect in my eyesight, I wouldn't need glasses. If I was perfect in my hearing, I wouldn't need a hearing aid. If I was perfect, I wouldn't be sick. All right, so Christ is saying this to the church, and he's letting us know that there are ways to gain perfection in the body of Christ. But one person cannot mature themselves, and then the uh, rest of the body of Christ be not mature, and expect the church to operate in its maturity. It will not. The individual may be able to operate in maturity, but them, by the same token, he is still limited. All right? I mean, you take somebody who is a, a pastor or a teacher or somebody who has a calling in their life and they have matured in that and cleansed their life as best they know how and followed after God and become perfect in that area. They themselves would be, but they're still limited because of the body that Christ has placed them in, which we would have to say in our essence the local church. We limit sometimes the moving of God because we do not realize the importance of us in the body. We feel like that it is basically all right if we just shift what God wants us to do on somebody else. And this is why I've always said it is very, very important. And I don't like to continue to harp on that because it seems like I get down on people. But since I understand sometimes the things that plague us and the things that bother us, but it is so important for us to recognize that we are part of the body of Christ and we are so sorely needed in the operation of God's presence. If we are not under that, well, then the body cannot function in its maturity. So God has put the church's effectiveness depending upon the function of every organ, every individual. God has arranged it. That the ministry of the church is wrapped up in the total body rather than an individual or one small group. Amen. Amen. Let's go over that again. God has arranged it so that the ministry of the church is wrapped up in the total body. Now that doesn't mean apostles, evangelists, prophets, and teachers. That means the ministry of every individual. Every one of you have got a ministry in some fashion or, or some way. A lot of us don't recognize that, so a lot of us have become pew warmers. That's about all we feel like that our ministry is. Uh, just come to the house of God. Others don't even feel like that's very important. But you do have a ministry. You do have something in the body of Christ. Otherwise than that, God would not have placed you here. He wouldn't give me a leg that was not going to work. Amen. It might get diseased and something might happen to it where I'd have to drag it around, but he wouldn't give me something that I had no use for. So he doesn't place you in the body of Christ if the body doesn't have any use for you. The Bible tells us how to handle things like that. So the ministry of the church is wrapped up in the total body rather than in one individual, that is the pastor or one small group. It then becomes the duty of the body of Christ to function. Now that then is the government of God. 
functioning together, moving together, recognizing what their place is, and allowed to move in their place. Has the freedom to do that. Amen. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now we find a lot of important truth in these verses. Number one, Christ is the head, the seed of the authority of the body. That's number one. He is a king in control of a kingdom. We have a spiritual kingdom. I realize there's a natural kingdom coming, but there is a spiritual kingdom. He has so entered into the covenant and union of this church that she actually becomes a part of him. Ephesians 5.30 For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In other words, we are not separate by, from God by any degree. We have become an organism. We have become a body of Christ. We have been fashioned. We have been formed. We have been placed. And we have been blessed. And we have been given a position in which God says, Whatever it is, feel it to the best of your ability. Don't look at somebody else and uh, try to feel their position. Don't look at somebody else and even, uh, even argue their position. Look at yourself. Find out where you belong, why you're there, and then do it. may not be an outward thing. Nobody may ever know really except just like an intercessor with prayer. Uh, most of the time we recognize those. People that are sensitive to the Spirit of God know who intercessors are. Amen. We not, may never, not never say it out to the church, and a lot of them don't want it. But in all the churches I've been in, I have recognized who, in, who are intercessors. And they never come up and tell me they are, but you know that they are by their life and the way they live. You see, and uh, let's find out he, he's entered in again. Let's go over that again. In a union with the church, she actually becomes a part of him, and we become, he becomes a part of us. And he has so complimented the church. And the church is so complete in him, he fills the church. He dwells in her by his spirit, and we are one with him as a man or woman becomes by virtue of marriage. He says that in areas that we can understand. You see, he doesn't get deep and he doesn't get out. If we look at it, he gives it in ways we can understand. We know our natural body. We know what it takes when men and women are joined together. These two shall become one. And we know what that means. So Christ says he and his church are united like that, inseparable. And certainly there is no divorce between God's church and him. Christ first becomes incarnate in a human body to overcome sin. And this is what he done. And then he becomes incarnate in the church to rescue the world out here and sinners. So he came in the body and he gave his life's blood. And he uh, simply saved us and brought us to the ability to overcome sins. And then he came on the day of Pentecost and become united through the Spirit and become incarnate in his church. Christ still lives. And he still lives in his church. The only way that the world is going to see God is through his church. How do you present God to your fellow man? How do you present God to your co-workers? How do you present God to those who see your life day by day? That's all they see. That's all they know. What is your testimony? How does God speak? He has to have your mouth. He has to have your lips. He's got to have your voice. It's the only way that he, he can speak in other directions but he has chosen not to. Somebody says, God will tell me this and God will tell me that. For the most part, it's already written and I've said it often. God is not going to change his word for you or anybody else. If he has said it in his word, you're not such an important person that he's going to look at you and say, you don't have to do it. Amen? That might seem hard, but it is so. And a lot of individuals feel like that they have got an in with God. Now it really doesn't matter what the scripture says. It'll be alright if they just deny, go ahead and do different. And God will bless them for it. God blesses us. And let me get this with you. God blesses us because he loves us. I said that Wednesday night. Not because he's pleased with us. And a lot of times when we're not doing what we ought to do. And God blesses us. What he's trying to do is get it through our hard head that he wants to see us saved. And he wants to see us mature. 
And it wants to see us walking in the presence of Him. So if we are disobedient to the government of God, and we'll get to more of that, that's, that's, that's spiritual law, saints. Laws make up government. And they're in the Bible. We're not going to tell you anything. And if you ever catch me telling you anything that you can't find in the Bible, call my attention to it. I'll publicly apologize to you and to the whole church. But the laws are made up of God. All we are, actually, as ministers, are administrators of that law. All we can do is just stand up here and tell you what the law says. And we're still at the disadvantage. I can't have you arrested if you don't obey the law. <laughs> Amen? I can't find you if you don't want to do what I ask you to do. You know, that's, that's why I said Wednesday night uh, when uh, Paul told him to, to regard them highly. It's because we're in a position that uh, not very many administrators are in. We're in a position where we can do nothing but to tell you and then depend on the Word of God to convict you. And if you don't want to do it, there's very little we can do about it. That's right. I can't send a posse after you. I can't threaten to hang you by the neck until you're dead. Amen. I, I can't do anything other than tell you that this is what God says. Then it's up to God. And let me tell you something. He's very patient and he's very long-suffering. But one of these days, he'll pull the rug out from under us. And most of the time when we feel like we're getting by with something, if we would check our lives, and we check our lack of peace in our life. Amen. But we just simply don't have any peace and chaos in our life. And, 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 and our money just goes here and there. We don't know where it is and we're behind in this, that, and something else. Check your life. You're not doing what God asked you to do. You're not paying what God wants you to pay. And that has a lot to do with our physical wellness. Amen? Amen? God says that. I didn't say it. God says it. See, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now, if you choose not to do anything about it, I still love you. God will still love you. He'll still plead with you. He'll still talk to you. And hopefully, He'll still bring you into His kingdom. Okay. That's enough of that. Colossians 1.24 Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Everything that God has ever said or done has been for the sake of his body. Yes. Everything he did in the Old Testament was for the sake of the ecclesia that called out individuals from Egypt. Everything he ever done was not for him, but it was for them. The church is a living organism. Membership comes only through receiving the presence of God in a person's life. You do not come up, shake the preacher's hand, put your name on a church book, and become a part of a body. Amen comes to the holy presence of a God that is alive. Now, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit can be likened to the blood of the body. It's not blood, but without this, you could never be an organ in the body of Christ. You have to have that which gives you life, and the Spirit gives you life. Blood gives you life in this natural body, but your spiritual life is dependent upon the Spirit of God. The health of this organism is maintained as each person, I want you to hear it now, as each person yields to the Spirit and allows Him to manifest Himself through them. See what I've been saying? You are important. If you don't move in a church service as you should, we are limited in God's ability to reach or satisfy the body plus to reach out into the world. You see, each person yielding to the Spirit, allowing Him to manifest Himself through us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 backs that up. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That is, overall. Through, with everybody. It's a sad thing when we come and the church is filled with that. When we just want God and His Spirit to help us. When we get to the place to where all that we think about is God blessing us. Our friend, listen, if we're where God wants us to be and asking God to bless somebody else, He'll bless us. Yes, he you need a doubt about that. 
but it's given to us to profit every place throughout the body and throughout the outside world. It's given that. Now, these are not natural talents. These are not natural abilities, but they're actual expressions of the Holy Spirit. Haven't you heard people say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, you don't have the natural talent to do that. But if God calls you to do it, then there's one thing about it. He's not going to call you to do something that He won't give you power to do. Amen? So actually, we see ourselves and what we are in our ministries as actual expressions of the Holy Spirit. Don't you ever get the big head and think that because you operate in the realm sometimes of His power that you are anything. Because you are nothing. Let God withdraw from you and you can't do anything. Whatever office God places you to fill. If He places you as a minister, one of the biggest messes you will ever make is when you get the idea that you can minister. That you can preach. Now we do have individuals who are intellectual enough to say a few things. But when it comes right down to touching a man's heart and reaching inside, talents and abilities given by the Lord. If we're called on to do something, well then that comes from the Holy Spirit. See, since the Holy Ghost is invisible, He makes Himself visible through the members of the church. I said it before, how do they see God? How does the world see God? How do we see God? Do we see Him as a Santa Claus or as a puppet where we pull His string and say, God, I need this or need that or something else? Or do we, do we recognize that we are manifesting Him? We're making God visible an invisible God visible to a world. Jesus came and made an invisible God visible. They could see Jesus, and Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was the expression of God Almighty. And then He left, ascended into the heavens, sent His Spirit into the church, and then we become what makes God visible. In other words, the Spirit of God in us. That's how the world sees God. You see, as, spiritual, as a spiritual organism, that's the church, we require spiritual gifts to live and to function. That's why the church cripples around a lot. Amen? Yeah. It's because a lot of us say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that, and you're right and you can't. But we have never recognized and prayed that God would give us a gift of some type so individuals could profit through our ministry. Not that we should be termed as anything or looked upon as anything. And recognize that all of this should come in the confines of the body of Christ. We're not a one-man show anymore. Amen? We are a body. We move and live through that. And if I have a calling then my calling largely depends upon your acceptance of me in that calling. If you have one the same way, we cannot move ourselves from the body of Christ and function right. Okay? Therefore, the internal ministry of this organism, that's the church, it's that that keeps it edified and keeps it healthy, and it has, must have its source from the Holy Ghost. That's what keeps it going. Now, number three, organization. First, we talked about some things that we talked about as being an organism, and then the health of this organism and what it ought to be and how it is, and then the organization part of this organism, and that can be likened to the skeletal part of the body. It's a framework. It gives definite form and shape to the body. It causes, the skeleton causes the body to be solid, stable, permanent, Supports all the organs, causes them to be properly related one to another, causes proper movement in the body. The skeleton cannot move without the body, neither can the body move without the skeleton. So here goes the organizational part of the organism. Then comes laws and bylaws and functions and things that we're supposed to have, but this organization by itself cannot do it, and an organism without organization cannot function the way it ought to function. So again, he talks to us in terms that we could understand. The organization of the church is simple, and yet it's vital. 
We're not being very spiritual when we ignore that. But we're disobedient to the pattern prescribed by the order of Almighty God Himself. What I'm saying here this morning, whether we want to understand it or not, and I have asked us to please be especially careful that we hear, and for those who teach and are not here to be very, very careful that they get uh, these tapes and not just get them but listen to them and it might not hurt some of us also to get them and go over them again and again because this what we're saying is vital to the continued presence of God in the midst of community chapel and what we are able to do in the midst of a wicked and a perverse world. We're not here just 30 or 35 individuals to help ourselves. We're here to help one another, and we're here to help those that are outside. And until we can get the basics of the government of God inside of us and become uh, willfully obedient to that, we cannot fully maintain the course God has set for us. Amen? It's important. And I'm going to say again, every person cannot do as they want to do. Amen? Leadership is important. That's the part that organizes. That's the part that God puts over, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But it's, it's a simple thing, but yet it's a vital thing. And a lot of churches have ignored the skeletal part, the organizational part of a church. You find individuals that run helter-skelter. They don't know what's what and don't care what's what. Have no understanding of the laws of God and what God demands of a body, have no understanding of their place, the place of leadership and ministry. So we're going to try to erase that from us and try to place within us a function for us to recognize it is up to us to be obedient to that. I cannot and will not follow you home to see what you do about it. Amen? I'll leave it up to you. Again, that's basically all I can do and then deal with it in areas through the Bible. Now, an organization basically consists of elders, and we'll get on to that, and it consists of deacons and so on, and we'll get into that also. Now, an elder comes from the word presbyterus, which means senior or talks about the man. Anytime somebody talks about an elder so-and-so, they're talking about a man. Uh, bishop is episcopos, which means overseer or superintendent, and this talks about an office. Every individual is an elder, or every minister is an elder, but every minister is not a bishop. And then pastor, evangelist, prophet, teacher speaks of their work, what God has called them to be. And this, again, is the organizational part, the skeletal part of the organism of God. Elders, I want you to mark this down, and I don't want to take the time to read that, because we want to get as far along as we can, and we're really running out of time. Elders in Acts 14.33, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed, notice that, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now notice these were to be in every church. Every church. Now, a detailed list of their qualifications is given by the evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 1, 7. And to Titus, who is also an evangelist, in Titus 1, 5, 9. Now, you need to read those. And you'll understand and see that a lot of churches and a lot of the skeletal part of churches don't adhere to this. Yes. Am I wrong in that? 23? Okay. Put that down. Thank you. How could I make a mistake like that? No, I did that just to see what you do. <laughs> okay. A study of their qualifications revealed that there are men with governmental ministries over the household of God. Okay? Men with governmental ministries over the household of God. 
Now, these elders fall into several categories. You'll find that in Ephesians 4.11. We've said this over and over and over, but let's say it again. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. All right? Now, there's a variety, a great variety within each of these ministries, though the basic functions of them are similar and the end result is the same. For example, one elder might be an excellent teacher, but not able to be an apostle or an evangelist. This be the case, they should not assume a ministry that they're not equipped for. We're finding places in churches today where they are not recognizing ministries like this, and therefore are themselves trying to be these, and they're not qualified to be these. Now, some are qualified to perhaps at times take over all of them, but others are not. And each individual ought to recognize the scope of their ministry as to whether they have the ability to be anything other than what their primary calling is. Each one will have a primary calling. Doesn't mean they can't get outside of that at times, but we have to recognize whether we are able to do that or not. They see, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, will make known to each one their ministry. In other words, you may have a prophecy concerning your ministry, but you're going to know inside anyway, and this just simply tells you and solidifies what you already know. All right? Don't ever be taken up by anything that comes and says you're this, you're that, and something else, and you don't have the slightest feeling that you're that. Even with the best individual, according still to the Word of God. Okay? Now then, this is done by the first inner witnessing of the Spirit. The Spirit witnesses inside of you. When we become concerned about our spiritual life and become concerned about uh, our move up in God, why then we ought to seek earnestly uh, uh, with prayer the Spirit of God and try to find out exactly what God wants out of us. We was talking to somebody this week, and we still won't mention any names, that there does come a time in some individuals' lives when they're not satisfied with just status quo of what's going on. This is known as what is the higher calling. It's something that God... That's not to say that everybody else is wrong, that their pattern is wrong. They are satisfied with that. But Paul talks about a higher calling where we become dissatisfied with that, and we seek out something better to deal with our hearts. That doesn't make us any better than anybody else. It's just simply God places within us until there's a dissatisfaction with what everybody else is satisfied with. And God calls us to a higher plane or higher level. And all of that is in Him. It's not in us. And we ought to try to find out what it is and try to function in that. Those are the elders of the church. Now then there's deacons. Now these are servants in the church. They carry on the physical aspect of the work. And you'll notice as a priest in the Old Testament that carried the different items of the tabernacle where they were journeying. And all of this, and we'll get to that a little later, but all of this has to be under the leadership of a senior elder. There will be senior elders or a senior elder in every congregation. He is functioning with the others, but everything that is done has to again come under control of the senior elder that God places in there. Now they're spoken of first in Acts chapter 6. Tells you about that. And in those days when the number of the disciples multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint, whom we may appoint. All right, notice that again. You look them out. You find from your, uh, your walk with them and find out who they are and find out if they're full of honest, full of the Holy Ghost, that we, which is those elders that's over the church, may appoint them over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, what he's trying to say here is do what you can do, but that is still, that is still not a note from God 
to do what you want to do the way you want to do it without consultation. All right? That's not God's way, and I would to God it was sometimes. But we just don't do that. There again, that's government. That's government. Try it any place else you go. It starts here, comes down and separates here, comes down and separates here, comes down and separates here, but it always, always goes back there. They need to know what is going on. You see, they had to be spiritual men because it's impossible for them to delight in their work. Now, this is not easy work. As I've said before, that, uh, to be a deacon... Uh, is it to just sit down and give orders? You waited on tables, whatever that means. Amen? Uh, and if you are not spiritual, you can't delight in the work. Okay? I mean, whenever you're called to be that, and you find other people sloughing off, and you ain't going to like it very good, but it's going to be up to you to love the people enough to be what you're supposed to be to them because if you can't love them, why, then it's going to be impossible for you to work in the form of an elder that you're called out to be. You see, they are supposed to be taking the load off of the ministering elders, not adding that load to them, all right? Now, I want you to notice this, that board or trustee is never mentioned in the Bible. That's right. In our present setup, We've been called a board, but we don't have a board. All right? Because it's not in the Bible. It's going through deacons, individuals that are uh, qualified in the way they're supposed to qualify. Now, it's up to you deacons to take responsibility for what your responsibility is. Okay? And uh, that's going to mean a lot if we understand that. Now, principles of government. Maybe I better not get into that. Looks like it's just about time to to fold up here. I was just getting started. Principles of government. I'm just going to give you a few things here. A church is first of all a spiritual organism, then in a limited sense an organization, and if either area is neglected, the church is going to be weak. There has to be guidelines. Now you're going to see over the years, and I have saw it, over the years where churches erupt spontaneously, the first thing you know, you've got a house full and you're getting people filled with the Holy Ghost uh, by the dozens, and then you're going to find that church ruptured and split right in the middle. What's wrong? What's wrong is they never recognize an organizational part of the living organism. They have never been told that they're supposed to do this or that and something else. They have never understood the control that God has placed over them, and therefore their churches become weak and ready to disintegrate at the least little type of argument or division or so on like that would totally destroy a church. And then you see it just work its way up, and it'll do that again, and then the first thing you know, it'll erupt again and explode again. Now, I'm going to say this. I believe God would rather have a well-established church, individuals functioning in the capacity they're supposed to function in orderly than God to have a mob of individuals who are disorderly. See, it becomes a mob then. It's not an organization, it becomes a mob. It's mob rule. I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do something else. And uh, if they don't like it, that's tough. And then it becomes just a mob rule. Each individual doing what they want to do, the way they want to do it, the time that they want to do it. And that is strictly, saying strictly against the government that God proposes for the house of God. There are some guidelines, and we'll get to that. There are some guidelines for... The rulership, our leadership, and we'll get to that. And all of us have to be aware that there are guidelines for that and uh, see that we maintain those guidelines. Well, nobody's here. Let's just go on. To maintain the spiritual, you have to have structure and government. But the government in itself will not produce spiritual life. 
You can have well-oiled machinery and don't have any living power in it, and then there's no life. An organism is something that is alive. Each part of an organ performing in a unique function as the body. An organization is a group of individuals with officers, agents, members working together for a common end. Thus it consists of living beings. It's not alive itself, but that which is in it is alive. It's the structural or governmental aspect of the organism. Nowhere in the Bible does God speak of an unorganized local church. I don't mean joining a great organization that sends down doctrines and trends that you have to be obedient to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about every local church needs to be organized with laws and bylaws and, and uh, leaderships and uh, the members, and they need to know where they're at. And we have to stress the spiritual life and health of the body. That's basic good government at all times. When the church becomes lukewarm, lacks spiritual vitality, and the governmental aspect is reduced to human realm and could carry on without the presence of the Holy Spirit, well, then that is wrong. And a lot of times that's what happens. It's prevalent in thousands of churches today. Some pastors are more interested in good church government than they are teaching the Word of God. And that ought not to be. And as a result, we have more good organizers than we have good pastors. It's impossible to have our administrative machinery well-oiled, or it is possible, and to be spiritually powerless. We might ask the question, how far do we go before we border on the form of godliness denying the power thereof? It's a dangerous thing, saints, and I'm closing, to lose the presence of God and specialize in substitutes. It's a spiritual thing. I mean a dangerous thing. There are spiritual things in God. We need to realize that the organizational structure is not the life, it holds it together. God bless you. Next week, God willing, we'll be talking about the foundations of spiritual government.